Okay, um, should we go back on air? Let's do it. Yeah. Okay. Shout outs to Lobster Modernism. Shout outs to Lobster Modernism, which yeah. spawned an entire an entire just like genre of lobster. It, it God, you would genuinely need like you could probably get a PhD in like Netrunner deck names. Dude, we could do an entire episode on Netrunner deck names and like it'd still be two hours. We could. I don't think I want to, but we could. Okay. Back on air. <laughs> Hello and welcome back to the Slums Cast. I'm your co-host Noah Panzer, and sadly, I was recently banned by the SBT and can no longer be included in your deck in the standard format. Josh. Oh, oh, okay. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Starting off strong. I'm Josh, aka Orbital Tangent, still Netrunner's OKS player. Fantastic. With that completely seamless lead-in, uh, you're probably wondering if you are listening to this episode exactly what you're listening to. Well, maybe you are. Hopefully you're not. Hopefully that's self-explanatory, but this is an episode of The Slums Cast. This is a podcast. Moreover, it is a podcast about genuinely trying to be good at Netrunner. Moreover, it is a podcast about genuinely trying and spectacularly failing to be good at Netrunner. This podcast will not make you better at Netrunner, and it also will not make you a better person. However, it will introduce you to a special guest. Josh, would you like to introduce our special guest? I'm going to be honest here. I don't know a lot about their tournament accomplishments. I know that they're great. However, I know a bit more about their Slack accomplishments. They are a mod not only for the Stimhack forums of old, but also the Stim Slack forums of current. It's B-Bloom. B-Bloom, how the fuck you doing? I'm great. I'm Ben Blum, the Netrunner player who has never once played a Wayland deck without 20 different kill cards in it. Ooh. That's me. Definitely going to blow your face off when I put my green identity on the table. Notably true just a few weekends ago. Yeah. Notably true. I have been playing Netrunner since halfway through the Genesis cycle, so that makes me an old timer. Um, I was around on the Stimhack forums when the forums were the most active place of community discussion. From there became a mod. Guess it's all history from there. In the last couple of years, I've been kind of in and out of the community. As I've been finishing up grad school and life things, I always come back for Worlds. And this time around, I'm back a little bit earlier than usual for Worlds. Excited to have you on, Ben. Anyone who's been in StimSlack knows who you are. Probably has directly seen the precognition icon in the sidebar. Excited to have you on and discuss murdering people with Wayland and many other things. Now, obviously, when I say many other things, really, we're here for one thing and one thing only, and that's we'll predict... Wait, hold on. Josh, I just realized something. StimSlack mod. We recently had Toll on, and we recently had Alexis on, and now we have Ben on... We are exactly one Stim Slack mod away from completing the entire Infinity Gauntlet, aren't we? Pants, that movie is over four years old. That reference is is more dated than you realize. Memes never die, Josh. Stim Slack is pretty dated too. That's actually very true. <laughs> on that topic, I know we're here for one thing and one thing only, and that's world predictions, but maybe we should add one other topic to the agenda. I mean, 
because really memes never die is a perfect segue to another topic. Enforcer 1.0? Enforcer 1.0. No. it! not Enforcer 1.0. No, it's, it's, it's drill. Memes never die. Drill. Is there even a Bioroid that would work for us talking about drill? Uh, Ryan Knight? Is Ryan Knight even a Bioroid? I genuinely couldn't tell you what that card does. Geothermal fracking. Geothermal fracking. Yeah, there we go. Geothermal fracking? Ugh. All right, geothermal fracking, our bioroid segment. So Ben, you are a well-noted drill enjoyer. We all do our best to be advocates, but I imagine not everyone in the audience knows about drill. As a means of introduction, do you have a favorite drill tweet or a most memorable drill tweet or a most historically significant drill tweet in your mind? Anything along those lines that you would give to introduce someone who's completely new to the concept? Or maybe there are several tugging at my memory that are like my favorites of all time in a vacuum. Mm-hmm. But right now, I can't get out of my head because it's such a great pairing with the Netrunner card guinea pig. Uh, what what should my drill voice sound like? I tried to do a drill <laughs> voice in the past and like, it's just hard to capture the character, but like- It is. So this drill tweet is paired with guinea pig and it goes, any gay scientist out there want to experiment with my dick, pour stem cells on it, inject gay chems into it. I don't care anymore. god it's so good (laughs) what the fuck it's so fucking good how does he do it every time also it's it's mate that goes on wanton destruction calculating the exact amount of gunpowder i need to blow up my dick and only my dick (laughs) it's it's very very good one of the greatest drill runners of all time in my opinion that one just the the explosion and wanton destruction it's so good i just go uh, for anyone that can be interpreted as transhumor you know (laughs) one that i've absolutely been loving recently actually this was rattling around my brain pretty much nonstop for the last two weeks is in 1980 audiences delighted in watching the blues brothers ravage a shopping mall with a car today we understand they were wrong to do so oh my god so pants why don't you tell us about the history of drill runner Wait, hold on. Yep, orbs. One last shout out. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, classic ass of God. Oh, of course. Oh, yeah. I will show you the ass of God. It's so good. It really is the small details, because if I remember correctly in that one, it isn't actually single or double quotes that are the quotes in it. It's back ticks. It's the teeny little details like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's also capitalized. Mm-hmm. The ass of God. Yeah. <laughs> yep. That's why the card selection is so perfect, though. Alpha and Omega. Mm-hmm. The Alpha yep. and, and one the of them Omega, looks like, the ass of God. <laughs> yeah. yeah. One of them looks like a digital ass for sure. Underappreciated drill runner history trivia, by the way. Pants created the ass of God playmat. He edited the screenshot of the tweet to replace the Twitter avatars mm-hmm. of the people who liked the tweet with the Twitter avatars of the most frequent drill runner contributors. So mm-hmm. really, that playmat just has it going on. But that part of it honestly took more time than the rest of the mat combined. Did you do it in Photoshop or an Element Inspector? I, I did that in Photoshop. Uh, which, Element Inspector would have been faster. Yeah, that, that probably is why it took so long. <laughs> to answer your question, the history of Drill Runner. Now, I'll be completely honest. I think you probably know the very beginnings of Drill Runner a little bit better than I do. 
what I recall is back in 2016, I had just discovered that this thing Stim Slack existed two weeks, somewhere around there. And someone posted a link to a tweet in like the general chat. And I saw it and I was like, what is this strange text on this card? This is not the text of R&D interface. This is very unusual. Oh, that was one of my most liked tweets of all time as it happens. As it should be. It's amazing. Oh, I remember that was created like just during the time window when Magic Drill noticed our account and retweeted like the last, the Ooh. previous five posts. And oh, R&D nice. was like the best of them. And it suddenly got exposed to the entire audience of like <laughs> Wimp but Magic. <laughs> There are many other accounts that do the same idea. Take a Netrunner card, or in the case of the Winsards of the Coast, you, you take a Magic Thank you. card. Yes, yes. Um, Winsards of the Coast. How could I forget such a great name? There's a new one that is Arkham Horror. Same idea. You take an Arkham Horror card over the completely useless rules text. It helps you play a game of cards, but it doesn't help you have a laugh. You take that and you paste in place of that a drill tweet. In this particular case, we have R&D interface, which is this big globe on the bottom of a desk, very prominent. And the tweet says, once again, those dastardly devious trolls have installed a device underneath my computer desk that shoots me in the dick every time I post. It's just, <laughs> it's just such a perfect match for the card. It's just such a gimme. I know, it's so good. <laughs> I'm noticing a theme here. The best trolls seem to involve a lot of dicks. <laughs> no, I, I actually disagree. I disagree. I think that those are the easiest ones to remember. But I think the ones that get like more into absurdist humor can actually like hit that extra high note for me. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking of one, and this one is actually from Wint but AI. I try to hold a higher standard for the AI-generated offshoot accounts. AI-generated drills can be funny, but they get repetitive and they follow certain formulas and they aren't creative in like certain ways that human drill can be. Mm-hmm. But like every so often, like a real gem comes out of them. And for April Fools last year, <laughs> you know it now. For April Fools last year, we put a bunch of we replaced a bunch of cards that were popular and standard. But I just will never forget what we put on Rashida Jaheem at Drill GPT two. I have the highest IQ of any person on this site, and my posts are clearly the most articulate. I have performed my duties with distinction, and I will never apologize for my posts, no matter how much shit I see coming my way, and no matter how many people I have to kill. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it's just like Rashida. Yeah, that's Jaheim, pretty perfect. The, there's this character. She's named Rashida Jaheem. She's wearing this giant suit of armor. She has no characterization in universe. And you slap this tweet on there and it's like, suddenly she has a personality and it fits her perfectly. <laughs> so that's the sort of stuff I go for, for my masterpieces. It was especially good because as, as you pointed out, this was live on Jinteki.net, basically a three of in every serious corp deck. So many people were seeing this altered Rashida that day. <laughs> wow. I could tell that the change had successfully gone live because in uh, in like the Jinteki.net chat on the front page, I was seeing people post like, hey, is something weird about Rashida? <laughs> something weird. So that, that's how I was introduced to Drill Runner. I, I don't know all of the history preceding that. It sounds like that was relatively early days when had just been noticed by the, the Winsards of the Coast account. But Kefla mm -hmm. was the creator of the Drill Runner account. And ran it until you took over. Which we're talking about. That was 2016. Like it was over two years of very regular, just about daily posts. 
One of the most interesting things about Joe Runner is it is really a community endeavor. It wouldn't mm-hmm. have worked without so many people who were interested in making these funny little drill edits of Netrunner cards because it's just, it's too much work for one person to put together that many of them. That's over two years of essentially daily posts. I've taken over the account as of 2020, if I remember correctly. I do enough admin to have like three posts up a week and it's a fair amount. I have so much respect to Kayla for having enough to to have mm-hmm, daily mm-hmm. for like two years. That's just an incredible amount of work. It's it's really a love letter to the game in a way. Yeah. Other notable things in Drill Runner history. When I say notable moments in Drill Runner history, what I'm saying here is just like things that I remember from back in these days that I personally was a part of. 2018, obviously, that was the final FFG supported worlds. A few things happened there. That was that was where I took the ass of God tweet and turned that into a mat, as we discussed. To my knowledge, is the first drill runner related mat. And then I also got the inside jobs from Kefla, pasted physical stickers onto them of like the drill text on those yeah, inside yeah, yeah. jobs and uh, handed those over to Michael Boggs, the at the time lead designer of Netrunner. Hey, hello, Michael Boggs. Like this is a gift that the, Net- that the Netrunner community would like to give to you. And he was very gracious and accepted them. And I think was very confused. I could, I could see a, a small bit of visible confusion on his face. <laughs> <laughs> only a small bit it was it was a very polite moment but kind of like what am i being given right now this is strange i don't think bog said time to uh interact with the community in a lot of meaningful ways let alone get involved in the deep lore and shit posting <laughs> yeah he probably looked at it and, this is something weird i don't get but thank you and look where we've come. Drill Runner is now semi-officially involved in the scoops process. I love when years. we get to do scoops. It's just <laughs> scoop some artwork, scoop the cart name. What does it do? Yeah. Absurdist humor. Another thing that's worth pointing out, and this isn't history, but this is like current events. This might be a little bit heretical or not. I don't mean to directly interpret Nisei's intent in their art direction, but it seems like since the Ashes cycle, in terms of like being a more ongoing organization, being more mature and having some time to iterate, it seems like the art direction has shifted away from like abstract digital artwork and more into like depicting concrete concepts on the card art. And from a gameplay point of view, this is great because like making cards immediately recognizable by their art, you know, I complained about in the previous cycle, but now that the cards like have immediately recognizable art, that isn't just a literal interpretation of the card name. It's also that much better for Drill Runner. One we did recently was Moonpool. Some sort of freaky superhuman in a circular pool in a laboratory. It's just very distinctive artwork. And it is a perfect match for the drill tweet working out in a graduated cylinder. As I gain muscle mass, the water level will rise above my head and drown me. This is true muscle suicide. (laughs) That's so perfect. In case anybody's wondering, by the way, our process is to open up cooltweets.herokoapp.com slash drill, the text of all of the tweets on one page, and just use mm-hmm. control F for like water, pool, swimming. That's the process for digging up those old tweets. <laughs> it's not magic. I think basically all of the best finds that I've had have come from just control Fing a somewhat oh, yeah. related oh, yeah. The The recent steel skin scarring one, that was just like, okay, I'm going to look up pain. And getting more pain receptors implanted into my skin. Maybe now my post will actually mean something to you motherfuckers. Ah! <laughs> and like getting pain receptors implanted in my skin. Like who who could have... I didn't even know that tweet existed when I wrote the art brief for right. that card. Yeah, right, like, right, right. I didn't set this. I I feel like the guy from Coffin Flop. I didn't rig shit. I didn't do this. Sometimes it's like not the most obvious word. Steel skin scarring, you might think like scar or steel or like implant or scalpel. 
But like pain, props on that control F. Thank you. Thank you. You even like you control F for something and you you get in a little bit of a daze and you get lost in the back scroll and you just start scrolling. You read like 50 tweets from 2014 or whatever, and just like one of them jumps out at you. You didn't control F for it. It's just I say this, and honestly, I'm only half tongue-in-cheek when I say this. Drill is one of our greatest living poets because just the, the body of work genuinely <laughs> is there is such a consistently high level of quality all through the years with drill. It's true. It's poetry. Yeah. I'm not gonna argue that. It's certainly poetry. art. I'm being completely serious as someone who writes poetry myself. Mm-hmm. Like Drill is a master of the craft, the most successful tone-driven poet that I've ever seen, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So oh. this is the noted Bioroid geothermal fracking. So what we have here is bonus clickable subroutines. I have one bonus clickable subroutine, and I'll be honest, I was going to write a professional sounding question about this, but in my opinion, you have some of the most iconic drill runner pairings of all time. What I really want to know is how do you do it? I'm just the best. Whenever I see a new card released or a new drill tweet posted, the muse visits me and she's like, this is the one. This is how to make it into absurdist humor. This is how to make it queer. This is how to make it funny without crossing over into super vulgarity. I'm gifted. Mm -hmm. I'm the best. That scans to me. Does there tend to be anything, any common theme in like what makes a card compelling for drill purposes? Yeah. Okay. I mean, if you're going to dig... If you're going to dig past my facetious response, the artwork should share a little bit of the absurdity that Drill has. Like with Moonpool, what's going on in that art? That's pretty absurdist. Inside Job, a fantastic example of this. I post when the pairing is perfect. That's that's it. Fair enough. Okay, we, we have one more bonus clickable subroutine here. And Wait on me. You know, Drill is obviously a meme. Drill Runner is obviously a meme within a meme. As we've discussed on the podcast before, memes are sometimes just memes, but memes are not always just memes. Let's say we have a skeptic out there, someone who's saying, okay, so you take drill tweets, you put them on Netrunner cards. Who the fuck cares? Why would you spend your time doing that? (laughs) What would you say to someone asking that? I don't do it because it's popular. I do it for the the sheer depth of humor that it gives myself in the moment when I create a good one and the minority of Netrunner players who share in that humor. That's why the sheer passion of the people who constantly participate in the Drill Runner channel, it speaks for itself. Not everyone needs to enjoy this stuff. I guess that sounded too real. No, no but that, that's not flippant enough. I got you. If if their tone was really off-putting, I'd be like, I, I don't know, because it's funny. Lighten up, you turd. Okay, okay. Bonus, like. bonus, bonus alternate answer. And I'm quoting the Drill Runner post from September 6th. It sucks. Absolutely. It's bullshit. It's stupid. But you love to see it. <laughs> oh, I mean, man, also so true. Good. I feel like my drill voice is getting really consistent now. Okay. I think we've got to put drill and drill voices away. Oh, Pants. Pants. Mm-hmm. Pantalones. Don't we have world's predictions to get to? I'm not sure I've ever said this before. I, I apologize deeply from the depths of my dick. Um, <laughs> but I think that that's... <laughs> I think that that's enough time spent on drill for now. Oh my God. I think we need to move on. I don't know, Pants. Like, if this is a ploy to get Akamatsu Memchip in the episode, I swear to God. No, I was planning on doing that after the next segment. God damn it. 
On the note of you bringing up Akamatsu Memchip, I think there is maybe one more topic we should discuss before we get to World's Predictions. I know, I know, I know we're, we're here for one thing and one thing only, and it's World Predictions, but I think that something related to Akamatsu Memchip, you know, we, we, we want to talk about playing Netrunner at tournaments over the years. And the reason I say that is because it's our memories of, as it were, making bets, putting the chips down. That's right. It is time for the segment, Violet Level Clearance. Violet Level Clearance. This week on Violet Level Clearance, we wanted to dive into that sweet, sweet value and discuss being a good Netrunner player is OP and should possibly be banned. Now, Ben, that might be bad news for you if it does get banned. Uh You have quite a few solid finishes over the years, often on some of the most iconic IDs ever printed. I mean, Kate and Polana spring to mind for me personally, but for others, it might be CI, it might be NEH, it might be Blue Sun, it might be something else. For instance, Engineering the Future. Given all of that history with good decks over the years, do you have a favorite deck or ID that you've competed with? 7.CI. There's never been another deck like it. I like decks that deconstruct what it means to play Netrunner. Personal Evolution is kind of the most obvious example of this, where like, oh, all of a sudden, all of the nice cards you've included in your deck, they're just hit points. The concept of the game of Netrunner has changed. And with 7.CI, that also changes. It's less interactive for the runner to play against. I won't deny that. People hated the existence of the deck because it was unfun to play against. That I would contest. Where, Where it gets fuzzy, the moral argument for me is like, a lot of the interactivity of the matchup of CI versus anybody else really happens inside of the head. Not that yeah. it's like a psychological game. It's just there are invisible forces at play. The corpse credit pool, how far they are through their deck. The runner does have to make meaningful decisions, mostly like when to unload and go for their like mega multi-access turn. That was mm-hmm. back when multi-access cards were still good. And on the corpse side, of course, it's just a giant logic puzzle. And I love that shit. And as the metagame iterated when CI was legal, the puzzles got better. At the start, People weren't playing noise. Clot wasn't even legal. It was a little bit unbeatable. And then Clot came out and suddenly the combo possibility expands. So you have to like get your CVS out, work out your combo up to 18 credits instead of 11 credits. The balance got better. The possibilities got like a lot more dense. Never been another deck like it. So for those who are new to the game, to the metagame, the gist of the combo deck is Power Shutdown, Accelerated Diagnostics, and Jackson Howard to set up three combo piles. I'm making air quotes with my fingers. Three combo Mm -hmm. piles. Basically, it moves the entire deck into archives. And then three times, it brings three cards into the deck and then plays them all with Accelerated Diagnostics. And each card in that pile uh, is basically free. I'm talking extra click costs are free because Accelerated Diagnostics, for example, plays shipment from Sansan without the extra click. That is how you get that many advancements in one turn. These combo slots are at a premium. If you're doing the basic like 11 credit combo, there's mm-hmm. really no substitutions. There's, there's no flexibility. You need all of the combo slots. If you have more credits, you get more flexibility. But if you need to play around clot, you get less flexibility. And so mm-hmm. it's this trade-off. And if there's noise across the table, you can just install a virus with Street Peddler with Clone Chip and mill one of the cards out of your combo pile, a random mm-hmm. card out of the combo pile <laughs> in the middle of the combo. And there's basically oh, no way to recover from that. It's not about the normal value of noise. Again, this is about like deconstructing what it means to play Netrunner. Yeah. <laughs> we figured out basically, A, include a second biotic labor because the amount of mm. flex that gives you is unreal. But the key thing we figured out to beat noise, and I remember running this several, several times in, in the store championship season that year, you just rush out an efficiency committee behind two tourings. <laughs> noise cannot deal with that. <laughs> You just cannot pass two tourings on the remote. You just rush it out the normal way. And then you have your EC score and you have like infinite flexibility and you can deal with like losing one, two, even three combo slots in the middle of your combo. So that's how we beat noise. 
there's strategy. There's there's playing around. There's interactivity. That's my thesis about CI. I'm content to remember it fondly. So CI seven, obviously, you, that 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 would be your favorite choice there. I'm curious on the runner side. What would be your favorite choice on the runner side? Prepaid Kate. Mm-hmm. Prepaid Kate was. I feel like I've done a podcast about this before. Before Clot, Prepaid Kate was an aggro deck. It played two legworks, played two ladies, all efficient breakers. I think it even had two cyber ciphers. It didn't play the slow game of like data sucker, parasite, like manage the board. Like it had a parasite, but it didn't have a data sucker. It just tried to go faster than any H. And then Clot hit and the deck transformed into a control deck. People were speculating, oh, like Clot's going to ruin interactivity. It's, it's going to kill fast advance. Like something needs to be done about astrobiotic, but Clot is too much. But it actually became a really interesting game of interactivity because NEH responded by like playing EG 1.0. Uh, I played mm-hmm. EG 1.0 in my Philly regionals win of 2015, mm-hmm. playing toll booths, uh, playing CVS, obviously, but like playing them behind those ice. And it was like this mm-hmm. hybrid glacier rush game, trying to tax out Kate's clone ships, much like trying to tax out Lat's clone ships like we do today. It also had a lot of tech slots. That was kind of its strength. Slots for like a bunch of one-ofs, Sharpshooter, Deus Ex, Film Critic, Plastic Carapace, you know, whatever was in vogue at the time. And it could just like tech for whatever was in the meta. Certainly like Film Critic in the right matchup, Film Critic would be worth 20% win rate. And then there was the 46 cards versus 45 cards debate and the professional contacts debate. I was in the opposing school that like the deck is supposed to be jamming quality times all of the time. And it, it simply doesn't have time to be like, Proco, 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 and that's your turn. So Symmetrical Visage was perfect for that because it cost only mm-hmm. two and it you know did it once per turn. We called Symmetrical Visage like our fourth voice pad. A key mm-hmm. card in that deck was Levy AR Lab Access. Uh, for those mm-hmm. who don't remember mm-hmm. this card, it shuffles your entire heap back into your stack. You just go through your deck again, but your prepaids are already installed. So you just have this overwhelming late game of, okay, lucky find, stim hack your remote. That's an 18 <laughs> credit swing. That will take a Glacier apart. In your NH matchup, you have this clot interactivity. In your Glacier matchups, you like you want to think about when to play your levy to pace out that late game against what the corp is doing, et cetera, et cetera. So it was just a lot of rewarding decision density. It rewarded you for knowing your matchups. It rewarded you for reading the board. And it rewarded you for making medicals and putting the right tech in. Mm-hmm. It's a good deck. It's a good deck. Thinking about how that relates to modern Shaper, I think there's something else that we should talk about before we get to world's predictions. And that's... Pants? No. We need world's predictions now. The people, they're starved. They're starved for scopes. And that's Akamatsu Manchip. No. Tough but fair. I did tell you I was going to try to do Akamatsu. All right, let's talk worlds. I think we know when we're talking about worlds and predictions that are likely to be wrong, I think we all know what segment name we have to use for that. Yeah, fuck Shaper. Fuck Shaper. They said with a notable Shaper fangirl on the podcast. You know what? <laughs> the segment name is actually somewhat correctly chosen, you have to admit. Since the new band list just came out and squashed everyone's favorite, well, everyone's most played Did green orb. Oh, the green orb. But like, yeah. Shaper? Boats are going to be there. Worlds is three weeks from when we're recording this. Some new hotness just dropped on the meta. We have a new hot meta to work out. Anyway, let's just right, get right into it. Let's talk about the bands first. And first, we should probably talk. What do you think of them? You already gave us a, a preview there, uh, B Bloom. So why don't you why don't you start us off? Uh, so if I remember right, the bands are on the runner side, Rizeki and Pad Tap, and on the corpse side, Archive Memories and Preemptive Action. Four one nine was unbanned as well. Am I just open prompt? Yeah, free text entry. I don't think anybody's going to be torn up about Pad Tap and Rizeki being banned. If you want me to say things about that, I could say that it's going to be good for Glacier 
Rizeki has always kind of kept its boot on Glacier's neck. Pad tap, it's really situational whether Glacier can afford to trash it or not. With Polonic on, it, it's a lot harder. Certainly in the obelisks I've been working on, if you want to play Maryland campaign, that looks really dumb against Pad Tap, so I'm happy about that. But just in general, I don't think anybody likes those cards. I think it's the rest of the ban list that is where discussion is going to get interesting. Pad Tap, it was a sinful card. Let's be honest here. I mean, I don't know. Like these, these, these are not the spiciest bans for what the whatever the ban list is right now, and I, I don't think that anybody's sad about them. About the corpse-side bans, Archive Memories and Preemptive, this isn't going to be super original, but I feel like I just have to parrot a lot of the sentiment I've been seeing on Slack, which is Archive Memories has been part of the game since core. Mm-hmm. I think it's never rotated. It's never been banned. Okay, this part's original, but to me, Archive Memories is saying, my deck is a synergy deck, and what my deck is doing requires card selection to the point that including a card and spending an extra click to get card selection back, like that inefficiency is worth the synergy that I get from employing that card selection. And I think that's interesting. I think that's an interesting question of deck building. I think that's interesting in the game. I'm sad to see that card go. Before I interrupted myself, the sentiment on Slack, I guess that I want to echo is like, if you're banning archive memories as an adjustment to the metagame, that's reflective of like a deeper imbalance in the metagame that maybe long-term banning archive memories, maybe it's not a long-term solution, uh, to put it diplomatically. I would tend to agree. The one thing that I will say that was a a very pointed argument in the band's favor that I do agree with is that there are a lot of cards that are trashable on the corpse side where the balancing mechanic, talk about like game changer or some of the other trashable. Next activation command to the other. Next activation command. Boom's the obvious one. Those are trashable cards. So one of the things that Archive Memories does with those cards, it makes those cards basically just stored in archives. Mm -hmm. They're not trashed. They don't have to be recursed into the deck. They are just on hold. And that's really one of the things about this where I don't actually like it as a band because it's collateral is it does hit the boom decks when I don't think that those were quite toxic, although they are doing exactly what I'm saying that they're doing. They're storing the boom in archives and just... I feel like boom's the um, only one of those that you've mentioned that actually does that in practice, though. If you're on next activation command, yeah. you're never on archive memories, are you? Game Changer did that. Well, Game Changer is banned. Memories, yeah, Game Changer's gone. Yeah. I'm saying that's part of the reason it, it maybe needs to be banned, though, because I do think that it's an interesting win con, but I do think that I agree with you in that. And I, th- I think I said that at the top of this, part of the reason that they're they're banning archive memories, it seems like otherwise what they would have to do is ban an entirely new card in Drago, or they would have to ban several cards that are oppressive in this R plus deck. So it's running three self-growth program, three market forces mm-hmm. and three Drago. And then it's basically saying whatever of these three that I need a fourth, a fifth and a sixth of, that's what my archive memories is for. So to really dismantle that deck, they would have to do even more bands. And I think the thought is when they could target one card, perhaps we should do that. It's a very targeted. I think band, there's clearly there's a principal take, which is what I said. And there's a practical mm-hmm. take which is what you're saying, mm-hmm. which is like, what deck does this target? And it's R+. Yes. Draco just came out. And like, we want to see what R+, does with Draco, but without the combos or the power level, rather, that Archive Memories enables mm-hmm. uh, on top of Draco. And like, that makes sense. 
as a principled thing, I think that archive memories is too good of a deck building question because with Game Changer banned in Haas Byroid, thematically, HB has always been this faction of consistent value and low synergy. It doesn't benefit as much from archive memories as the synergy decks and other factions do. Like NBN, everything's very situational. When the runner's tagged, you want to play this card, you want to play this card twice, enough that you're mm -hmm. going to spend six influence on your... like. And that's an interesting deck building question. That's an interesting gameplay question. And in principle, I would hope that it gets revisited in the next wave of metagame considerations. That's my take. I just yeah. really like Archive Memories. I played mm -hmm. it in CI, so... I like Archive Memories too. I Simultaneously... I am glad that that style of R plus deck doesn't have its power level as high as it would be with archive memories because yeah. I like forcing a deck with Drago to be more proactive and force them to actually try to go out and win the game rather than just mm -hmm. sitting back until the runner loses the game. But I agree with all of your points about so... archive memories being a really interesting and skill testing card in deck building. Notably, what you were talking about happened exactly at Continentals in a game that I was oracling for the king and you put on stream your very first game you jump into with Andre mm -hmm. and it's the R plus prison deck and it's the king and what we started doing from almost turn one was install Drago behind a piece of ice advance advance tag pass turn clear tag draw draw advance advance tag pass turn I think we did that for like, oh my God, like fucking like 10 turns. It genuinely, it, 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 as, as, yes, as someone who was witnessing the game, I'm pretty sure it was at least that many. Yeah. Who y'all's credit? You and Andre still made the commentary interesting enough to watch, but there That's a was a of point, commentary that is point Andre is a pro. where something actually happened in the game, and one of you, I swear to God, under your breath a little bit, went, Oh, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> that may have been me. <laughs> I want to touch on the difference between archive memories and preemptive action. Mm -hmm. They're both. Recursion cards, obviously, but Archive Memories gets it back this turn. Mm -hmm. And Preemptive Action is more about the long grind. The other day I was playtesting the Ob deck that won Intercons. And it's like, it's trying to kill the runner. It's got three hard-hitting news and it's doing all of this asset stuff, not bladderwort stuff, but like asset stuff with Excavator. I forget how many Preemptives it plays. Yeah, here it is. Dreamboat, first to Intercontinentals. It's on one preemptive action, so only the one. That's still a lot when it's paired yeah. with Spin Doctor. You see preemptive action in that kind of deck, but you don't see Archive Memories in that kind of deck. It's also just an easier include because there's no influence, but it, it and Archive Memories, they both say bring stuff back from archives, but they do very different things like to the game because Archive Memories is really about compressing action into one turn and preemptive action is about, no pun intended, shifting the overall like pace of the game to be longer. It's interesting to me that they would hit those together. Something, I guess, in favor of banning preemptive action is that banning both Rizeki and Pad Tap also makes the game longer because it makes Glacier more powerful. It lets Corpse like dirtle a little bit longer and it, it brings back the Corpse late game inevitability, which I always thought was a key point of the game. The game is good when Corp is good in the late game, but preemptive kind of dials that back and like I can see that being a balancing thing. That makes sense to me. Also, I mean, I was playing a preemptive action in my like no kill ob deck, or if I wasn't in intercons, I am now. And like, I mean, you know, I won't be super sad to see that card go. It's just a one slot. We still have Spin Doctor. It does make the Dreamboat game plan weaker because that's really about the grind, you know? Mm -hmm. So I guess that's my take on the difference between the two cards. And if I could bring one of them back, I guess my principles would say to bring back archive memories. But I also understand the circumstances about targeting R+. There is another reason that preemptive... I believe it was seen as a target and that's 
because when there is a critical mass of net damage and sort of grindy long game mm-hmm. cards, it is a key card in those decks to recycle things that can fire multiple times like mm-hmm. snares. And in this case, now your bladder warts, it is a really efficient card for that. Like if you want those cards in your R and D, like you do snares, shuffling in three of those cards into R and D is, yeah. is fantastic. You love to do that. I think that we're seeing not only something that is intended to hit the dominant deck that we're seeing, which is well, it's it's hard to call R plus dominant. It it fell it, off. It might be in middle a world without midway through the continental season. Yeah, it might be with the bands. You're right. Yeah. I don't think that preemptive is a hit to that. I think preemptive is a hit to that in the sense of if you ban archived, yeah, you lose some power going to 3x preemptive, but you have the same overall prison game plan. You just don't necessarily get to play market yeah. forces on the exact turn you want it as often. So it's a little mm-hmm. less strong. I think it's less a hit to R+. It's worth pointing out that it's a hit to OB because you mm-hmm. can OB out cards that you preemptive immediately. <laughs> Those cards are available immediately. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, right. So that's that's interesting. That's cool. um, yeah. As for the net damage thing, this is an age-old argument. Nisei doesn't want the net damage grinder type decks in the format. I do, as previously stated. Like I'm a big fan of the decks that like deconstruct what it means to play netrunner. Oh, we're we're gonna do this grind thing instead. I mean, I like that. Um, and so, like on the same I don't token, like when attrition's a winning strategy. Well, I, I, I just I like don't it. like. Okay, I, okay. I, I understand your point here, Josh. I'm just. PU, oh, come do, on. Do we think oh. a true grinder PE? Do we think there's any chance that that would have been a tier one sign me up for that? That is the deck that I want to take to world strategy. I would have called it tier 1.5. I think it's good for it to hang out in tier 1.5. I think yeah. Yeah, I, it when it's in tier 1.5 is not a choice that I would make. All of, the, all of this said, Spin Doctor is in the format. So preemptive being hit, it's just hard to be torn up, torn up about that when we have Spin Doctor, you mm-hmm. know? Whereas Archive Memories, I think, is is more controversial. I think I agree with that. I agree with you, too. If I was to bring one of the two back, I'd probably bring back Archive Memories. I do think that while it's it's true that you can make the argument uh, trashable cards become untrashable then, if you're an ID like Freedom or you're just I was gonna say that. with like an M. Archive Memories can be teched against by playing Imp and Freedom. Yeah. I think you're right. It's an interesting deck building decision for like both sides, knowing that that recursion exists. I do hope that the archive memory ban is not permanent. It's. Mm-hmm. I really hope that it's just like a time thing where like, okay, we have this impossible list to put together that's not going to please anybody. What's the most targeted thing that we can do? Okay, let's yeah, just I, do I this because we don't have time. I respect it. No. And certainly like mm-hmm. allowing time to see what R plus does without it. I respect it as that kind of like, explicitly temporary thing. I have no insight mm-hmm. into how the SPL works, but mm-hmm. I would hope that it's like a, a temporary thing, like as an experiment, see what R plus does, and then adjust and bring it back. I just love Archive Memories. It's a great card. On the topic of Jinteki and on the topic of hitting Jinteki while it's tier 1.5, the PE lists that did well at Continentals are on zero preemptives. Those are basically playable as is for what it's worth. They're like weird Yomi though. Like they're using Yomi as a sort of tempo mechanic almost. It's German engineering is what it is. <laughs> Preemptive aside, bringing 419 back is what's going to kill those. That's yeah. Is yeah. that a good is that a good oh. to, like a good time to segue talking about 419? I think so. Yeah, 419 yeah. is probably going to kill those. This is the whoa change. There's just no diplomatic way to put this. I think that both should be banned after worlds. Given that I have a hard time seeing 419 staying legal and the metagame staying healthy if Boat is mm. gone. So 
the only way that I can interpret this unban is a way to bring faction diversity back forcibly while boat is legal, because I think criminal doesn't benefit as much from boat. And so it's like, okay, we have Hoshipko, we have Lat, criminal sucks because it doesn't benefit from boat. Let's make there be a criminal deck that's on par on the power level. I just think that's telling. And doubly, I I think it's telling that we have a literal five-click runner in the format, Mm -hmm. and we still (laughs) unbanned 419. That's what I was going to say is like, I think Boat 1-9 is pretty good. Like I saw Sokka mm-hmm. playing that today, but like, I think Sable Deep Dive is a fantastic fucking deck. And like, I it's love that got- deck. It's such awesome a good fundies. It's a great concept. Like it's a lot of fun to play. I tossed down a couple of games with it. I also I also tried out um, Ken Deep Dive, and I think Ken Deep Dive is also really fun too. The fact is though that the opportunity cost is not playing Hoshipko, and that deck is just better at a lot of things. It's better at breaking ice, circumventing ice, trashing mm-hmm. ice, multi access, because a lot of cards in it are contained in one card. And then once I do have a hippo, after you haven't been able to do things in that server, well, then I can start to dismantle that server. And then there's no way you're keeping me out. And there's just no way that Criminal can compete with that. I just really want to see Sable be good. The moment I saw somebody play security testing, I was like, oh, like, yeah, that's great. I love that combo. Mm-hmm. Like, it just mm-hmm. it mm-hmm. just feels like Criminal is supposed to play. And 419 doesn't. I'll also point out that pinhole mm-hmm. threading is extra good in, in 419. Because mm-hmm, like true. he just gets to know what the upgrades are. Pro tip at Worlds, you're playing against 419. Pay to hide your analytic void. <laughs> Do not let that <laughs> get controlled. I'm, I'm just going to get straight into it. I don't like the fact that the boat is not banned. I also don't like the fact that 419 is unbanned. My spicy take here is the boat, it doesn't matter that it's new. If we're going to experiment with the metagame and think about an unbanned later... The boat should die. It should it should be gone mm-hmm. so that we can see what runners do without the boat and see what corpse do without the boat and then see if there's a, a world in which it could be reintroduced. Honestly, and I've said this publicly before, and I really respect the hell out of our SBL team. They have an impossible job doing this ban list and they have an impossible job in the best of times. But this is Magic the Gathering's one iconic card that it came out that they refused to ban forever, Oko, Thief of Crowns. This is our Oko. This is the card that's tearing up standard, just like Oko did in Magic the Mm -hmm. Gathering. And it should just go for a little bit to see if we can get our bearings. If it stays gone forever, I I think most people don't care. If it comes back because we decide, okay, well, there's this and that to take care of it, cool. I'll agree and disagree. I agree. And that I hate the boat and I want to see it banned. I'll disagree in a little bit of an indirect way. I don't ever want to see the boat back in the game after it gets banned, assuming Mm -hmm. that it will get banned. And the reason for this is that it breaks a core tenet of the game. Ice is the atom of interactivity in Netrunner. And the boat breaks a tenet of the interactivity of ice, which is that the runner's ways to deal with ice must be situational and or limited use. The boat Mm -hmm. is neither. It deals Mm -hmm. with everything. And it powers itself. That goes beyond what deconstructing, air quotes, what Netrunner is about. That just like removes a level of depth of the game that we all love. It just makes it less of a strategy game. The last card that I can think of that did that was like Faust, right? We all remember that. We saw what happened to Faust when it did actually become limited use after Levy got... I mean, but like people were playing labor rights. So I agree about heading boat. I disagree about the fact that it should have been banned instantly because I respect the desire to keep it in the metagame. There's no way around this pun as the flagship card of the new set. <laughs> um, 
because it's not like there aren't ways to deal with it. There's next activation command, wake up call in Wayland, self-growth program in yellow. Is there something in red to deal with it? Among the tier one decks, which does not include Jinteki, unfortunately. Uh, each... Hold on. Actually, there's. it isn't a tier one card, but it is okay. a card we saw in Jinteki that deals with both neurostasis. If they hit it. Yeah, As I said, it isn't a tier one card, but it is at least an attempt to answer both that we did see in Continentals, and it did win a game. <sighs> all right. That's, I mean, it's not right. very good. Okay. I told but, you it wasn't a tier one card. <laughs> back to my point. All of at least the tier one decks have competitive ways to deal with both. They're even a little bit interesting. They all have little bits of interactivity built in them, but they're good. I'm also just really mm -hmm. tickled that Wake Up Call is finally good. Yeah. When that card was printed, you look at it and you're like, oh, what a dumb Punisher card. Who cares about hardware? It has its day. <laughs> and so, like, I don't mind the desire to keep Boat for one worlds as long as, like, the metagame is about interacting with Boat using these tech cards. I don't hate that. It's not as bad as the bad old Faust days used to be. And mm -hmm. I, I just hope that it gets banned permanently afterwards. That's my feeling about Boat. And hopefully 409 could be banned as well because I really want to see Sable Deep Dive be a deck. I hate to harp on this, but it goes back to the Oko argument. Oko can come down as quickly as turn three, and it does not matter what your opponent puts on the table after that because all you do with this card, so whatever they put down on the table, you just look at them and you go, it doesn't matter it becomes an elk. It's sort of like how boat works. It doesn't matter what that piece of ice is. It I spend two an elk. counters, I get through it. Yeah, it, it becomes an elk. I spend two counters, it becomes an elk. <laughs> so, and I agree with you. It, it's a fundamental rule of the game that we're trying to keep you out the mass, vast majority of the time with ice. Now, it's also a fundamental rule of the game that you're, you're going to defeat those defenses a lot of the time, but you have to put effort into defeating those. It's not just one card. It's not just this recharging, self-fueling card. That's why I think that the card is pretty egregious. I, I think it's as egregious as Cipher was. They both notably give you two MU. It should really, should, is, like, it was misprinted. It should have said negative two. Negative two. <laughs> Here's a combo that deals with boat and it's probably not great, but it's not that far off of being able to imagine it in the Continentals winning deck. With wall to wall, you can advance a Mazvinko and give it and the run for each advancement counter. Mm. Mm. Yeah. What is Ten oh. boat counters, please. It's it's like taxing out lady used to be with your uh, your next subroutines, right? In fact, it's identical to taxing out lady because the exchange rate is well, it's two to two versus two to one, but it's the odd subroutine that matters. Spiderweb is no longer legal. Hive is upgraded, so we have envelopments. I yeah. love that card. That card is it's just a very great. cool card. I'm surprised right. that other objects were not playing three copies of it. If you're playing 15 ice, like three of them should be envelopment. I'll give a pro tip <laughs> that is almost certainly going to cost me a game at Worlds. <laughs> Ob can only fire once per turn, so if you're the runner yes. and you make them like pop a border control or whatever, go hit that envelopment so that it trashes itself. Hit it on the same turn. If you get masked up with me, don't do that against me. But anybody <laughs> I mean, else, fair game. We should actually get into the predictions. Before we do, so I, I think we already got into this somewhat, but Ben, we did want to ask you, Orbs and I are not Shaper players. We're not people mm -hmm. who play Shaper or historically have really played Shaper. You're the only Except one of us who really is. How has being Shaper changed in the boat meta? I've prepared for this question. So drawing on what I said about prepaid K, to me, what Shaper is about is about having just enough resources at your disposal to be able to deal with any one threat or server the corp presents. But a lot of it is expendable and single use. 
the farther out you reach, the more you're going to leave yourself overextended and vulnerable and like missing components of your rig to deal with other threats down the line. To me, playing Shaper is all about making those trade-offs. To me, the iconic card that just best illustrates this principle is Sharpshooter, which is no longer legal, mm. but it's an icebreaker that like for one credit, it would pass any ice with a subtype destroyer. It just protects your rig, but like you would spend an SMC to get it or you would spend your clone ship to get it. How many clone ships do you have before your levy? Um, mm -hmm. And like on top of that, do you want to spin your clone ship on a parasite? Besides, do you want to spin your clone ship on plot? Besides, that's why like NEH played Ichi back in the day because Shaper didn't want to spend its clone ships that it needed for plot, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So to me, Shaper is all about that. Uh, I think that the Cabanessa deck still exemplifies that really well. It has to think about its Aesop cells. It has to think about like how to play its rejigs. The Lat deck is more all in on boat and that doesn't count. Neither of those are expendable. They, mm -hmm. they all use renewable resources, whether the boat counter renews from it runs and the icebreakers, of course, renew from credits. So the rig always stays the same. It just plays itself, honestly. To me, Shaper is about making those decisions about I'm going to sacrifice a clone ship on this play and I'm not going to see that clone ship for the rest of the game. We honestly saw that pattern a bunch in the commentary booth over multiple weekends. Mm -hmm. You can tax out the boat momentarily. People playing to the out of, okay, I have exhausted the boat. They cannot get into my remote this turn. Turn. The counter to that is yeah. to install a second boat. Yeah. Like, it, 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 <laughs> like the play can exist sometimes. It's just too yeah. overwhelming. I do think that that's been tamped down a little bit crazy. with the abolishment of drip. Economies are going to be more finite and weaker, but it still starts with three fucking counters. And after one successful run, it's at four asshole subroutines. And, and yeah. <laughs> Even though runner econ is going to be more finite, if it's to close out the game or to prevent you from winning the game, I'm going to spend those eight credits, put that boat down, yeah. try to get in, you know? It's only going to be a hit if the game goes long. I do find this a funny mirror of play patterns that used to exist. You used to say, okay, I need to break the remote this turn. I'm out of resources. I'm going to play a stem hack and suddenly get nine credits out of nowhere. What we're mm -hmm. describing here is, okay, I need to get into the remote this turn. I'm going to pay eight credits to get a boat, and that's my stim hack. Yeah, that's <laughs> fucking weird. To be truly the spirit of Shaper, I think the cards just have to be expendable. And you have to be thinking about, these are the tools that I have in my deck. These are renewable. These are expendable. I get to play these many of these expendable cards like in a game, and I just have to think about like the long game arc. You know, mm -hmm. To me, yeah. like hot take, the lat deck is not a Shaper deck. In the same sense that a Geist deck is not a criminal deck, you know? What faction is it then, if it isn't Shaper? It's green. It's boat. It's boat faction. It's okay. boat. <laughs> boat faction. Okay, so we have our favorite, or at least our most played, non-Shaper green deck. I'd like to ask questions about specific decks that we think are going to do well at Worlds. Usually we start with the decks that we think are going to win, but in the spirit of drill, in the spirit of being a little more absurd, I'd like to talk about the weird choices first. What do we think are the tier 1.5 or the tier 2 or potentially even the tier 3 decks that we think have a real shot of doing well at Worlds? Okay, here's my call. 419, tier 1.5. 419's not on boat, so... It's like spicy, but in a weird way that it shouldn't be spicy. I feel like you forget to register a deck at a tournament and you show up and they're like, all right, here's a 419 list. It's all right. We filled it out for you. <laughs> I mean, I don't agree. Like boat 19 is a thing that people are working on right now. Well, we didn't say boat 19. We said 419. How about corp decks? I mean, I, I think PE is kind of in that 1.5 space. And I think... We saw PE have some success at Continentals. I think that in the hands of the right pilot, I mm -hmm. don't know if it has the juice to win, but I think it has the juice to potentially top 16, something along those lines. Yeah. Honestly, 
I think re-education Neurospike is another deck. It isn't necessarily what you think to sleeve up when you're thinking, I would like to beat every deck in the meta, but Neurospike potentially get there. Doesn't that die to uh, Stone Ship? Not as badly as Boom, I don't think. Dreamboat, I don't want to call it being like less than tier one because it's just one intercons. It does seem like Boom is going to, not that it was directly targeted, but it seems like it's going to suffer with the meta shifts, which is bad for me as a player who definitely always sleeves up Boom in their green corp decks. <laughs> bad for me. Very bad. Red Glacier is going to be either tier one or tier 1.5 because of the abolishment of Drip. Of course, it's better. Spider is really good. Oh, Spider is the red answer to Boat. It doesn't blow up boat, but it's it's strong against boat. It the forces, CEO it of forces boat to actually spend four counters a lot of the time. Tracker too. It's a much better answer to boat than like fair tracker is. Fair DNA Child tracker three. is bad. You should not play that card. DNA trackers. Yeah. Is it because the of the study guide that they run? No, it's because you just break two of them and eat one subroutine. You can't do break that with two, spider. Eat one. Oh, okay. Like yeah, you need yeah, to put yeah. a botulus on a spider and then you can boat it. You know me. Anytime I can say like Polana is back or Ag Infusion is back or RP is back or whatever. I want to say that every time it could mm -hmm. plausibly be true. I'm just not sure that it is because I think you get a single Anansi Hippode out of Boat Chico and you just yeah. instantly lose the game. If you lose a spider, you lose the game. That's for sure. And spoiler alert, I was going to call Hoshipko to win Worlds. And like, if that's the dominant deck, then you need to be playing around Hippo. Yeah. And if you're playing around Hippo, then you're turning off the scary part yeah. of your egg infusion ability. I don't know. Do you have to be the other Jinteki IDs in that case? Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, they're all like, bad. I don't know. Like the one that gains a credit, like that's pretty good. Restoring humanity is not terrible. Yeah. You can play five threes out of that. And it's not the best idea in the world, but you know. It, I was going to say, I, it's not terrible, but it's not good either. Yeah. But at <laughs> least it's not blank. Egg's not blank. It's just severely downgraded. Because that uh, ID ability is normally very powerful. It's good, but it's just like when Ag Infusion is good, it's just such like a, a hair thin line that you're treading between winning yeah. and losing the game. And if you have to play around Hippo, you just lose the game. That's probably my call for like a tier two deck that like could possibly make it. I don't know what you do with that deck, though, other than like shove in like three border controls. And then I mean, that's yeah. what you do. Yeah, and you naturally have access to void. So mm -hmm. you're right. It seems weak to hippo and it seems like it doesn't have a whole lot of money. If you could figure out the econ of it. If you play restoring yeah. humanity, that like kind of solves your econ problem and it definitely improves your consistency problem. I think the econ from the... that card pays to play around hippo. That's my take. Yeah. You don't have the built in in the run, though. You think the, again, the, again, the though, credit you, you... that you get is like worth that? Yes. I mean, people used don't to Don't you also have to reveal a card? It just has to be face down in archives. Oh, oh, I'm thinking of fucking the one from Ashes. Damn. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, God. I wanted that idea to be so good. Mm, um, no, no. While we're on the subject, I'll throw a shout out to local Pittsburgh player Josiah, aka On the Mod, who played in uh, Intercons. He's got a Restoring Humanity deck. It's what you think it would be. He's just really good on it. And instead, he played PD. But I think, like Rizeki Padtep gone, I think that Restoring hmm. Humanity, it can be good. There have been times that I thought things were worse for Genteki Glacier when like in the right hands, it was like top eight continentals, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. So I want to be doubting Red Glacier right now, but at the same time, I'm 100% open to the fact that I'm wrong. It's still harder to get that credit than Polana. Like, I mean, there's a reason that Panic Polana was a thing. Like they're always going to be drawing cards. You can't win the game and not draw so, cards. So counterpoint, 
the runner can play against Polana, and the corp doesn't really super have a say in when the runner chooses to play around Polana. On the other hand, yeah. with Restoring Humanity, you also want to be icing archives in order to stop like Boat from getting free access. And mm-hmm. so that synergizes with your desire to mm. get the credit. And yeah. we also have that new ice, Bathinomus. It's Neural Katana, but it gets yeah. more strength when it's on archives. That's a mm-hmm. good card. It's a late game thing. Early game getting the credit's going to be touch and go, but I think it's less bad than you're making it out to be. I'm not convinced, but also you're saying tier two, tier 1.5. So I, I can agree with that there. The one I was I was going to point out that I think actually does benefit from both the runner side bands is a deck that Andre turned uh, the cast onto that we mentioned on our last one, which was the NAPD Cordon Blue is what we've decided to call oh, it. Or, okay. Uh, the, the Cordon Blue. Yeah. It's Improv Devost. And then you mm-hmm. also play NAPD Cordon. It's all advance your agendas. NAPD Cordon. When the runner runs, you put another counter on it. And if it's a Balana, 13 well, credits. that's yes, 13, 13 credits to steal. And with the lat control deck on all that drip, that wasn't that much. Yeah, and yeah, like, yeah. It would be hard to tax them out. However, the fact that they aren't going to have all that drip and they're going to be more down on money, I think that the deck could work. I do think, though, that it's not a tier one deck just because draw order in that deck is a huge problem. Mm-hmm. It also just lost its main recursion engine. It actually also spent six influence on, which was archive memories. So... Barring that, if you if you hit the nuts most of your games or you hit kind of like an okay draw, that deck can be a pain in the ass to deal with. I don't think it's going to win, but it could do well with the right pilot yeah. and with the right amount of luck sacking. I will say that I really like seeing the lockdown operations be good. Like between NAPD yeah. Cordon and the Genteki one that's Caprice and Next Activation, yep. just really good card yeah. design. I appreciate <laughs> the upgrade over currents and like the decision making mm-hmm. that that adds to the game. I like those Agreed. cards. Okay, hear me out. Hear me out. CTM. Fuck you. I mean... You're not wrong. I don't know. It, like, it, it, it's CTM. It, what do you want me to say? I, I don't know what CTM can do right now. I don't know what CTM actually has as a proactive game plan to win games other than like hope people forgot how to play against CTM and wait for the runner to make enough mistakes to win the game. But it's Worlds. CTM always does well at Worlds even when it's not supposed to. Here's the question, though. Are people going to be playing Parisha to tech against Dreamboat? Because Dreamboat cannot beat Parisha. And I think that oh. is like a one-of slot in Shaper decks. It's going to be tough. If they're playing Parisha, then this is very much a bad call. What's probably going to be in contention to be the CTM deck, if there's going to be a CTM, the Bladderwort CTM? This was posted on NRDB. Full title of the deck is uh, Reports of My Death Were Greatly Exaggerated. Colon CTM is back. And this thing plays three bladder warts and it plays three AR enhanced security. That's a really annoying deck to deal with. It also plays boom. So it's basically like saying like, I'm going to either slow mill you out or you're going to come take some tags and trash my bladder warts. And also you have to clear them or I'm going to boom you. There's some problems with the deck. I think that it works and I think that it might be good. But I also think this deck should play 1x Lady Liberty, and it would be infinitely better, I think, because it's yeah, going to help it, you ensure that AR score. It, right, it works super well with AR. You just eat that into mm, the score mm-hmm. area. It gives you an extra must trash also, in addition yeah, to the Bladder yeah, Warts, for sure. which is always... It sounds a little more prisony as that style of CTM on like a preemptive, because if so, then that is actually a weakness there. That's I'm looking fine. at the list, and it doesn't have a preemptive. Could okay. have one, but I think it, it doesn't really look like a prison deck. It just looks like it's playing ctm and it'll get bladder wards out and annoy you okay that's basically what it's trying to okay. do yeah. Fair yeah. Enough. 
it might be my candidate for like CTM does better than you expect. I, I also don't think that this one's going to win Worlds either. When I say CTM, I mean CTM in eighth. I don't mean CTM winning. Yeah. Okay. I agree with your take. Should we move on to what we think actually will win? Let's do that. I'm calling Hushipka for the runner side. Okay. The tech is just too versatile and it has liberated accounts, so it survives all of the drip banning. It was wild to me that that deck was not on 3x liberated. They were just like, no, we already have enough econ that's better. So I was playing it and it's just like, you only have yeah. time to empty liberated once. And it's like, all yeah. right, I think it can like pop three career fairs in there and call it a day. Yeah. Probably also put in a couple of the fucking virus that ticks up counters and then fermenter. you pop it for fermenter. Yeah. I mean, um, obviously fermenter, very good in freedom because you just naturally drip virus counters, which are fantastic with freedom. It's decent. Money, exactly. Though. Like it's, it's, it's yeah, yeah, red yeah. orb. It's fucking, it's fucking gross when it gets up to enough virus counters. It's, it's um, not red orb. Let's be honest. It's, it's not, not that good. Orb. It's not that good. <laughs> All right. Visually well, speaking, good. it is an orb. <laughs> it's red orb yeah. in the same way that like Cerberus Cujo was red lady. I don't know if it's, it's not I, I don't quite it's that bad. bad. <laughs> I really don't think it's that bad. Yeah, but I had to say it. You know, I had to yeah, say I, it. I get what you're saying, but like, like reel it in a little bit. I mean, come on. <laughs> Fermenter is like one of the reasons why I'm thinking like, I can't decide whether it's going to be Hoshipko or it's going to be Boat Freedom. Mm -hmm. I think it's going to be one of the two. And I think that Freedom is really well positioned, more well positioned than Freedom has been in a good goddamn minute because mm -hmm. Freedom hits all them zero cost threats. Freedom can run the boat because we already saw Freedom running fucking five influence on consumes worlds before. So it's not like he doesn't have the influence. Freedom didn't really care about any of the bands that just happened because all the Freedom yeah. lists, if you look back on them, they were on fermenters. He can leverage the other viruses that are in the deck that you were going to run in Hoshipko too. Botulist mainly, but you can, mm -hmm. you can put another couple in there. They're really easy to put down and put virus counters on like Yusuf. I don't know. Like, like freedom is pretty fucking good. It's hard to see how something Anarch with Boat doesn't win mm -hmm. because I think both decks are solid. I honestly hadn't considered freedom until now, but now that you're talking about it, I can see that. Freedom's yeah. good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, what are they going to do? Purge and give you more boat counters? <laughs> this was in like 2018 or 19 or something. During the times like when I was a little bit out of the scene and like only showing up for Worlds, like I just showed up to a Cleveland regional one time, totally net decked a freedom deck and took down the regional. <laughs> He's good. He doesn't even play himself. I remember in the final against Peter Foil Flaws, I spent eight virus counters to trash an IPO out of his hand. And it's just like, <laughs> it's, it, it's, it's that kind of decision you find yourself making when you play freedom and you're like, holy fuck, like this identity does something that nothing else does. Eight he's, virus he's counters good. to trash IPO. That's, that was so funny. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> that was so, like, it was all my virus counters. It was not that I was swimming in virus counters and could just like afford it. It's like, that was yeah. all my virus counters. I was oh, just man. like, I need you not to have those five credits right now so I can pressure your credit pool. I'm fairly high on freedom as well. In my opinion, the smart money is on Boat Chico, but my heart is with freedom instead. Mm -hmm. And honestly, I, I think that there's a freedom list that doesn't have Boat that gets there. But I think that, okay, you take the strengths of freedom, you merge them with the strengths of Boat, that might just be the correct answer. One deck that we haven't talked about that I want to mention briefly right, that I think is in this conversation, but like wouldn't be my pick is Lat. I actually think if I were going to be playing Lat at Worlds, I would probably want to be on the apocalypse list. Mm -hmm. You weren't all in on just getting the drip and getting the value. You actually have this other game plan of, I could just blow you up. I found myself beating Lat enough times in intercons with just wake up call that I think mm -hmm. like that plus 
getting the drip hit, I think he's going to have to do new things. Apocalypse could be that thing. Yeah. Apocalypse is a is a solid call for like making the cut because you're right. It doesn't depend on the drip as much. It could probably it slot in some. I think it could easily win. Yeah, definitely. I think that's what you pivot to with Lat. I can yeah, see I, that for sure. So on the corpse side, there's a few obvious candidates in my mind. One is some version of Ob. You know, maybe it's an adaptation of the Dreamboat list. Maybe it's some other Ob list. But like Ob just, we've seen the ID has a lot of strength and honestly, a lot more flexibility than people were thinking. People were like, oh yeah, there's going to be some weird Ob combo list that kills you. And that's all it's going to do. And like, no, we've seen Ob enable a ton of different styles that are doing a ton of different things. I wouldn't be shocked if it shifts one more time and there's just a very, very good Ob list at Worlds. But I think if I had to put money down, it would be on PD. Yeah, Yeah, I agree. It's hard to argue with PD as a choice. I really want Ob to win because it's just such a cool identity. And mm-hmm. just like, I haven't been that excited to play Corp Netrunner since Blue Sun dropped. You know, it changes mm-hmm. the game in a way that doesn't break any fundamental tenets of the game, but just, just like introduces all of this strategy and tactics. I'll drop a scoop about Ob, which is not news if you've been attentively watching Intercons. You can Ob out a Manic Arm Skunkworks and ambush them with Formicary, which if you don't know, which I didn't when I was watching the stream, and I was caught bad-mouthing Formicary saying like, oh, I don't see why Owl isn't better than Formicary. Formicary <laughs> lets you trigger Manigarm Skunkworks twice on the same run. Yeah. So just be aware yeah. of that going into Worlds. It'll save you a Judge Caller too. And you can also <laughs> ob out the pieces at instant speed. It's great. That's just really powerful. That is a powerful-ass combo. It's very yeah. funny too, because you know you can pop on the virus. There's nothing yep. in that server and suddenly there's the Skunkworks and you have mm-hmm. to break it twice. My virus gets it and yeah. Stavka trashing Afshar gets it. Oh, good point. Yeah. yeah. You cannot get it with border control, getting my virus, getting Skunkworks, because Ob only triggers once yeah. per turn, says yeah. the person who has been caught trying to do that <laughs> over the board because they don't know yeah. how their identity works. But now they do. And they're saying it on air, so they won't do it at Worlds. This is why I love this game. This is why I keep coming back to Netrunner and I cannot get enough and I like slurp up like every bad meta, good meta, whatever it is. Formicary, when this card came out, mm-hmm. every tournament player that I know looked at this card and went, this is fucking useless. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> What yeah. the hell is this piece of ice? And now we're talking about Formicary like it's the most fucked up card that has been <laughs> produced in this game. I fucking love that Formicary has had that journey. Yeah, me too. It's one of the things that I like. I really enjoy the most about this game. The Formicarisance is here. It's just good. The card sucks. Like, the subroutine sucks. Mm-hmm. It looks yep. like it might, like, combo with your, like, Azef protocol or, like, it doesn't combo with those things. Nope. It's an ice subroutine. You know, the runner breaks it if they want, mm-hmm. but it's just a good combo. And you have to plan in advance to set it up and you have to think about, oh, am I going to put this on archives? Am I going to put this like on a new weird server? Probably don't do that because they can run it for boat counters. Um, like, <laughs> am I going to pay to like pay extra install costs to put ice on top of this while it waits for its moment? You just have to make interesting decisions. <laughs> it's just good. I've been thinking about this a lot, especially if you have multiples on the table. The lat deck during Intercontinentals had to respect the subroutine on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So they did have to, in fact, break it, which sure, is the yeah, no, funniest like, fucking thing to me. Because normally, like, you're going to be like, oh, fuck my cards. I don't care. But yeah. like the fact that Azef is a card now means that you have to respect that subroutine. And it's so fucking funny to me. If you don't, I might fucking kill you with an agenda. It has the angle of 
I have enough border controls in this deck that you can't break it with your face enough times to steal the agenda. I mean, like, it's a sentry. It's not hard to break. You have to actually Especially get a sentry crim. breaker down and you have to, or you have to actually spend boat counters. So it's a gear mm-hmm. check, but it's yeah. not even a full gear check. It's like, yeah, like with Owl, the- it's a hard gear check. Formicary is a soft gear check, but Formicary yeah. like does this weird thing. So yeah, it's closer to a real gear check than it looks because of border control, but it still mm-hmm. isn't. It's it's yeah. like, I don't know, 60% of a gear check or something honestly, like that. <laughs> honestly, what its value is, it's a part of your glacier wind condition mm-hmm. that is shaped like a piece of ice and it goes on the table like a piece <laughs> of ice and you can sometimes bluff it like your server is defended. I've got ice in front of my HQ. Don't come on in. It'll be a waste of your time. And it's actually just the form of carrot. Like, it's not a piece of ice. It's part of your win condition. That's how I think about it. Okay, um, PD, next activation command. I don't know if I have anything That's to my say call. about PD. Yeah. yeah. On the record, you there is no money down on this. There's just bragging rights. What IDs are you calling to win worlds on the record? Josh, let's start with you. I'm having a hard time choosing between, again, Host Ship Co. and Freedom, the Ship of Freedom. I'm going to go with Boat Freedom. So not even like going to take credit if like non-boat freedom wins. It's specifically oh. boat freedom is what I'm calling. And next activation command PD. So I'm being very specific here with my picks. We like that specificity. Ben, how about you? How's ship going, PD? I would love to call OB. I would just love to call it, but it's mm-hmm. mentally taxing. And we're talking worlds here. And PD is just play your seamless launch. So I think I'm going to take a slight curveball here. I'm going to go freedom. And then I'm going to go ASA. Sure. The forklift, the forklift corp. It's like PD, except not. (laughs) (laughs) Except not. Well, fully operational is fully OP. So, I mean. On the topic of calling what we think is going to win worlds, who do you expect to win worlds? Again, we are on the record here. Who do you think is going to win worlds? Josh, you go first. Well, I have a cheeky answer, which is I'm going to win worlds because. um, No, no cheeky answers. You're not playing. Yeah, but I'm I'm suckering all you motherfuckers to come. So I wish you'd worded that Th- any other way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Look, I didn't try to make that one thirsty. It just came out that way. There are a lot of good choices. It's really hard to pick one. Of the people that I know are coming, Sokka. I know that I called Sokka for Intercontinentals. To be fair, Sokka was still really fucking close. And the thing is, Sokka took a game loss against the eventual winner in round one. This side note, always check your fucking decks when you load them into Jinteki, everybody. I told everybody to do this four times before the match started. Anyway, Sokka is probably one of the best players that's like in the game right now. Really analytical, very, very attuned to like credit perfect math. A former world champion, Chris Dyer you could say had this skill famously winning on exactly the right amount of credits to access an NAPD in 2016. I think that Sokka is really tough to beat. Ben, do you have a choice here? I have a choice, but it's not a super informed one. Honestly, since I used to be in the game, like back in 2017, like ever since then, I haven't super paid attention to people's names. Obviously, no Sokka's name, but you've already called Sokka, so... Just for funsies, I'm going to go with Mr. Big Deal and my King of Servers teammate, Sam Swede. Oh, Mr. Big Deal. I would love if Mr. Big Deal won Worlds with Big Deal. That would I think just that be would be unlikely. Advantage. I'm not going to call Big Deal on Big Deal. I think he's not going to play that card. Damn. Excuse you. Times are tough. Mr. Big Deal was my father. It's Mr. Big Fucking Deal. <laughs> <laughs> 
Okay, fair. Uh, my apologies. That's a good mm-hmm. choice, though. I mean, Samus won Continentals and Nationals, so I mean, mm-hmm. like, that's not a bad call right there. Obviously, right? The the reason the big deal exists is due to past extremely strong performances, so. Yes, correct. <laughs> so, <laughs> Pants, who you got? Come on, man. My choice here is going to be Toby, TF34. World's finalist a couple years ago has gotten as close as it's possible to get Without quite getting there, I think this is the year that Toby brings it home. I'd be happy to see that result. I mean, Toby with naked scores on the board with CTM. Yes. Um, yeah, that, that was when Toby became the people's champ was like just the the Beal off the board that had been sitting there for like four turns. Repeated naked scores too. Like people knew that Toby was doing this and Toby was like, I know that you know, and I know that you know that I know. It's just a real, gonna... like, high-level, old-timey netrunner skill to be able to, like, read the runner, play that it's agenda. The battle of wits, baby. The battle of wits. Okay, so whether you agree with the ban list, whatever your choice is there, the important thing is it doesn't matter. We're moving on. It's time for banner nab. It's time for banner nab. That's correct. Okay. Well, as you know, Banner Nab, classically one of the longest segments on the Slums cast, one of our historically longest, because we go through the ins and outs of the decisions that we're making in the segment. We really discuss how it's going to affect the meta tournaments. It's, uh, mm-hmm. our, it's our most peer-reviewed segment, yeah. Mm-hmm. I heard about the reputation of this segment, and I stayed up all night preparing essay responses. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And as well, you should, because this is easily going to take longer than the rest of the episode. Really, let's just jump into it. Let's let's get into it. Card yeah. is seamless launch. Ban or nab? Seamless launch. Ban. Ban. Nab. Controversy. Unfortunately, we don't have time to discuss that after the multiple page essays we went into. We do need to move on to the next segment which is bad card of the week that's still bad and you still shouldn't play it at Worlds. Traditionally, we have to guest pick this as well. Do you have a bad card of the week that's still bad and you shouldn't play it at Worlds that you would like to discuss? Hyperbaric. Hyperbaric. The bad card of the week that's still bad and you still shouldn't play it at Worlds is hyperbaric. Why is hyperbaric a bad card that you should not play at Worlds? Pursuant to what I said about Shaper, needing to be able to get answers out immediately, hyperbaric is kind of antithetical to that playstyle. And with drip out of the question, if you need to get something out to break like a Fairchild really early, Unity is just going to be the better pick. Yeah, I think you're right. We saw multiple times over the Continental weekends, okay, you install Hyperbaric, you pay an absolutely ludicrous 14 credits to charge it up or something like that. And like, now you don't have to spend money on it. But like, who cares? That's money that all just exists in the fantasy money pile. I'm not spending my real credits on this. You actually have to spend real credits in a world where you don't have three Rusekis and three pad tabs. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know how much there is to say. I don't know if this is like the gauntlet where we can shit on it for five minutes, but I like, don't think it's an actively bad card in that way. I think it's just not well yeah. suited for what the meta is asking right now. Because I think the, the main problem that I see with Hyperbaric is Unity is just as cheap, but is a better answer to the cheap ice. And mm-hmm. the expensive ice, you have this upfront cost with Hyperbaric that, yeah, it might cost you less in the long term to break a Fairchild 3 with Hyperbaric, but in the medium term, it's going to mm-hmm. cost you less with Unity. With Unity, like once you have your full breaker suite online plus boat, Unity is actually a pretty fucking efficient breaker for almost mm-hmm. any code gates. So the upfront investment is a lot less. And over time, 
it's probably still even with hyperbaric. And I don't think that the shaper decks, the way that the meta is asking them to be built, are going to want to put in things like you could put in like overclock to feed your hyperbaric, but why? Spend overclock why? credits on, on their trash costs. Like yeah. overclock credits are real credits. Yeah. If you run overclock, I'm not convinced that shaper does. Not unless um, it's yeah. playing SMC, which strangely enough, it's not. A good thing to compare them on is Fairchild 3. Mm -hmm. And the first time that you break a Fairchild 3 with Unity, first of all, there's a reasonable chance it's not your first breaker down if you're encountering a Fairchild mm -hmm. 3. So at that point, it yep. reaches basically the final form for most Unity, which is you pay five, which is the same as in Golo to break Fairchild yeah. 3. Hyperbaric, to be able to break any FC3 subroutines, you have to spend 11. Like you have to spend at least nine credits, but you ideally want to spend 11. Like it's just Unity or Angolo. It's interesting that we found ourselves in a world where Unity was the correct call for Shaper decks. My take or, or is rather, that, that, that Hyperbaric was the correct call. My take is that Hyperba Hyperbaric was never the correct call. And it mm. was just, it looked good because Shaper was rich enough with the drip that it could afford <laughs> to play any of the code gate breakers. Mm -hmm. I just think that with the drip gone, the differences are going to be more apparent. And if you want to be able to play that reactive play style, you're going to want Unity. If you're going to want to be able to install something expensive, but have fewer breakers installed long-term or whatever, Angolo is the choice. And I just don't see that super duper long-term staying power that Hyperbaric offers. I just don't see that being relevant in this metagame. Yeah. You're positing that that Shaper deck was so dominant and so rich that it, what it was basically saying is I can play my worst decoder and okay, still Okay, what's the win. worst decoder? What's the I, worst I don't, I don't think it's decoder. the worst decoder. It's, it's the worst reasonably playable decoder probably. What it's is the, the third what best is... decoder. Third best decoder. Yeah. Is there a fourth that's legal right now? Isn't Mass Driver still legal? There's a lot of cards that are still legal. There can't be a lot of Shaper decoders legal. Like, yeah, Mass after... Driver is in fact still legal. There's a lot of cards that are still legal. Inversificator is legal. Uh, oh, Gordian yeah, Blade is it's worse now too, than Hyperbaric. It? I would rather play Hyperbaric than Gordian Blade because Gordian Blade doesn't give you that initial reactivity because the install cost is so high. Or at least Hyperbaric has something. I forgot Inversificator was legal because we just never see it. That card used to be the absolute bane of existence of so many Corp decks, and now it's just not playable to the point where people just don't slot it. Really great card for drill tweets, though. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I just thought of something, and we didn't go over this in the right segments. This is the wrong segment, but considering that we just kind of remember that N'Golo is a fucking card and Shaper is like lacking for drip. Padma Boat with N'Golo actually breaks a shitload of ice and invalidates a shitload of ice. That's what I played like, at Continentals. It's uh -huh. not good. Ooh. I mean, Ooh. it was fine, but if you just straight up swap the Padma for Lat, it's a better deck. <laughs> Even with the drip gone. The charge is not as good as it looks. That's what I'll say. Angolo's a good card. Okay. Turtle's a good card. You could play Turtle. You can play Angolo. You can play Boat. There's kind of like a smooth gradient between that Padma Turtle deck that I played and the Lat deck that won. If you just throw an Apocalypse in there, it's a good deck. In a sense, the Drip being gone makes the Lat Drip even more valuable, honestly. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Interesting. I don't see how Hyperbaric is that good. Yeah, it's bad. I don't know if it's a bad card. I think it's not the correct answer to what the meta is asking right now, though. Excuse you. It's... This segment is called the bad card of the week. It's still bad, and you still shouldn't play it at Worlds. Which, we are yeah. saying that this card is bad. Lawyered. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Just played lawyer up on me. 
reminder that this is the bad card of the week that's still bad and you shouldn't play it at Worlds. That means that this suggestion is only applicable to the week of Worlds. What you do outside of that week is your own business. I do not want to know it. Do not tell me. Let's move on to the end of the episode. Sadly, this is the end of the time that we have for this week. If you liked what you heard on this episode, and I certainly hope that you did, then feel free to follow the Slumscast. You should be able to do that in just about every podcast distribution network that has it. I didn't like what I heard on this podcast because I don't listen to the Slumscast. Neither do I. If you don't listen to the Slumscast like us, there is Slumscast merch that you can, in fact, buy that will tell the world that you do not listen to the Slumscast. You can get a t-shirt or many other things with that phrase on it. You can also rate the podcast. I think you can you can do that in, I think Spotify has like a thumbs up feature. And I think Apple Podcasts lets you give some star rating. Uh, if, if you leave us a review and you and you leave us a rating, we do actually read those on air. We have read 100% of the ratings that we have gotten in the past. Please don't use this for arbitrary code execution. If you liked what you heard on the episode, also consider sharing it with someone else that could potentially be a friend, a person in your meta, a coworker, a family member, an enemy, whoever it is. If you think that they will enjoy the content that you heard on this episode, consider directly sharing it with them. I would like to give special thanks right now. Special thanks are going to go to Ben. Ben, thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. It's been a long time coming. While you're here, would you like to give any shout outs? Yeah, I'll shout out my best Netrunner friend, Russ Talassen from the UK. Just a great guy, good mod, good friend, does a lot of work at Nisei behind the scenes, and I think very highly of him. I'll also shout out my playtesting buddies and slash or King of Servers teammates, Jason Deng, Peter Foilflaws, and Sam Swede. I kind of mentioned them earlier. I'll shout out all my fellow queers in the community. It's just great to be in a community with you all. And last of all, I'll shout out you for running this podcast. I do, in fact, listen to it. Uh, <gasps> Cut the feed. No one can hear that. That's that's a revelation that we just can't have getting out. Shit, we got played. <laughs> on the note of getting played, if you have any questions or comments about what you heard on this episode, the best people to reach are us. The best place to reach us, StimSlack is definitely one of them. GLC is another one. Twitter is another one of them. We'll have places that you can reach us and handles that you can reach us at in the show notes. Feel free to just check those out. If you have any concerns about what you heard on the episode, then I would refer you to the recent ban list. They have unfortunately been restricted from the standard format. You had the dual one recently with the the satellite uplink and into the depths pairing with uh were you the one who picked with iTunes. It wasn't me who picked satellite uplink, but I found the I, I figured I, out the I, first I one. think it was Zeroth Maxima who picked that one. Okay, yeah. Actually. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> so that, that one for really the listeners, it's into the depths on the left. I gotta tell you, iTunes is running me ragged. I reckon it would require the expertise of a NASA astronaut to operate this infernal program. And on the right, satellite uplink in perfect astronaut voice. Bleep bloop. Even I can't figure out how to use damned iTunes and I'm from NASA. <laughs> so that was my drill doing an astronaut voice voice, I guess. We, <laughs> I obviously have to give a, a, a definite shout out there to, to Matt, um, Matt Ono, who uh, kind of with the alley-oop here from explicitly commissioning the Into the Depths art to mimic satellite uplink. So oh. that pairing just works perfectly. I didn't realize that was intentional. But yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And <laughs> confirm. That makes sense. I was, I was in the room where it happened. <laughs> <laughs>